As the day drew to a close, I returned home eager for the comfort of familiarity after a long day at work. However, upon stepping through the door, an unspoken tension hung in the air. My partner sat in the living room, their usual lively demeanor replaced by a quiet and withdrawn presence. The warmth that typically greeted me was replaced by an uneasy silence, leaving me to navigate the sudden shift in the atmosphere. Just move past it, I thought. Just try to make a little bit of conversation and give her the benefit of the doubt. I started with the normal. How's your day? Good. Okay, this is off to a good start. Yeah, did you do anything interesting? Um, no, it was a pretty normal day. Oh my gosh, she's not giving me anything. Um, all right, maybe I'll tell her a little bit about my day. Well, my day was wild. I ended up in four back-to-back sessions. <laughs> I hate when I do that to myself. Wow, that's crazy. Oh my gosh, did she really just say that? That's crazy. That's code word for I don't give a crap. The frustration begins to rise as my thoughts pick up. Why is she always like I shouldn't this? have to come home Just to give this. her the benefit of the doubt. You don't know what Go her day into was the like. Other room. No, I'm just trying to have a simple flooded. conversation. Go give her a hug. That usually this. helps. No, she doing. should hug don't me. Don't say anything. Jeez, it would be nice to come home for once and get a warm greeting. Well, there we go. We're off to the races, and if there wasn't a tension in the air, there certainly is one now. All right, let's pause here. Are you familiar with this scenario? Maybe not this exact one, but you know, the moves that are associated. Somebody acts kind of withdrawn or annoyed in some way. The other person criticizes. That makes the other person withdraw more, so they get louder. Well, there's a reason for that. And it's usually because one of you didn't regulate. Last week, we talked about emotional regulation and why you need to do it for yourself. And today, we're going to be bringing that into our relationships and talk about how dysregulation plays a factor. Welcome to Relatable, a Thrive Therapy podcast. My name is Kayla Gensler, and I'm joined by my friends, Coulter Bloxham and Lauren Mokary. We are three licensed professional counselors running a therapy community in Phoenix, Arizona called Thrive. Our mission is to help you find the most connected version of yourself, and we do that through individual therapy, group therapy, couples therapy, workshops, intensive retreats, and our online membership platform, which allows you to do some of your mental health work on your own for super cheap. And this podcast is just an extension of all of that, where we go through topics on how to relate better to others, how to relate better to yourself, better to your anxiety, emotion, experiences, and so on. This is part two of our series on emotional regulation, where we're going to discuss how this shows up in your relationships. And if you didn't listen to part one, that's okay, but now is a good time to jump in as well. So, my goodness, I feel like this is my life when I hear this vignette. Yeah, is everybody okay right now? <laughs> like the, there is some tension in the room uh-huh. for sure. Yes. <laughs> I think if people haven't gathered already, all three of us are the pursuers in our relationship, which is, I would assume like 90% of therapists are pursuers in their relationship. I don't know. We flip-flop back and forth sometimes and even knowing, so. Yeah, yeah I guess so. Yeah, we definitely have a couple withdrawers in the office. We do? Yeah. Let's call them out. Okay. No, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, gosh, I love I love the part where the thoughts are just like piling on top of each other because it really illustrates what that feels like for us when we're in the heat of noticing this protective response from our partner 
And truly, it is so distressing in that moment where we're noticing that. And it's just like, gosh, what do I do? And I I heard you even say, don't say anything, which made me laugh because I'm like, that is kind of the mentality there is like, ooh, if you say something, it's going to cause more conflict and, you know, we're going to spin up here. But ultimately, yeah, I just think it was such a good depiction of the pursuer's mind and and the responses from the withdrawer. Just in listening back to it, because that's a story that has happened in my house a number of times. Like, it's so stupid mm-hmm. that I come home and it's like, she's not talking as much as I want her to. And this <laughs> makes me so angry right away. Just like <laughs> listening to it, if it sounds so silly. Mm-hmm. I think though that the thing that I felt in listening to it was that sense where we're like, sensing a relational disconnection and trying to figure out how do I get that connection back online? Like, how do I reconnect here? And so even kind of hearing you go through like the way that our minds are kind of strategizing and trying to grasp for like, okay, what's the move that I can make here? Like, do I just try to keep this light and maybe that will bring them back online? Do I ask a direct question? Nope, that didn't land. And so it's this sort of like floundering of like, I sense that there's Kayla and I have a client who calls it a disturbance in the force, right? I sense that there's a disturbance in the force, but I can't quite figure out how do I get this reconnection. You know, what's funny is like, I bet if I had used that language, it would have been better. Cause like, that's something that always works in our relationship is using a little bit of humor, Uh you know, if rather than saying like, you know, you're not being warm, if I could say, I sense there's a disturbance in the force right mm-hmm. now. Maybe not yes. that one because you're not like a Star Wars fan, but you but know, if just, you guys are Star Wars people, then that one is excellent to use. Yes, mm-hmm. there you go. Wow, people are gaining so much from the pod. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think it's like right there in that moment, Coulter, where your mind starts to race because you're noticing some sort of disconnection from Katie. There, it's like almost like a fork in the road, right? We have two options, and Lauren mentioned one, which is like I'm going to try to make this light. And I'm going to keep trying different things. I call it throwing spaghetti at the wall. I'm going to just keep trying to see if like maybe something warms her up a little bit. And if that doesn't work, essentially we're going into either a negative cycle, right? Where now your protection is going to engage um, and you might get a little bit more snappy or critical or, you know, that voice in your head that's saying, don't say anything is going to lose and you're going to start to escalate. And what's wrong with you? What's what? Why are you being so short with me? Right. And get a little bit more tense, which I actually feel curious. <laughs> is that what you did? This story has happened a few different times and I've done both. Like there's there's times that I've, you know, been more critical or something like that or just kind of let it go a little bit more. I think in kind of hearing some of those voices, like I wanted to play some voices in there that were also saying like, give her the benefit of the doubt, mm-hmm. like go give her a hug. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, like, no, she should hug me. Mm-hmm. Um, is because like when, I think when we're dysregulated, it's not just that we only have those angry or negative thoughts coming up. Like there's just, there's just so many voices coming up at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's overwhelming. Mm-hmm. It is overwhelming. And, and and that's what makes it then hard sometimes to 
you know, to not listen to some of those voices and to get caught up in all of that. And um, if we're not really paying attention to what that tension feels like in our body and noticing some of those things that we talked about in our last episode that individually tell us what's happening, then yeah, we can get caught up in listening to one of those voices and thinking like, she should hug me. She should be ready for me when I get home. And right, that one might win out. You might get more critical. You might shut down or you might pull... The, another option, which is to name what you're noticing <laughs> with Katie, right? Like, what is, what's going on? Hey, I'm noticing you're a little bit short, right? Um, or even she could notice, hey, Coulter's getting a little bit um, agitated right here, you know? And that's, you know, those are some of the, I think, different ways that we can hopefully go towards and, and or op- obvious ways that we get caught up in this cycle. We'll talk about all of that today. Yeah, so Kayla, I keep hearing you use the word cycle. Can you explain a little bit what you mean when you say that? Yeah. So we are talking about the different ways that we have been conditioned to protect ourselves in our own lives. Um, Oftentimes they develop in childhood. They certainly build in past relationships. And we end up landing in one of two categories. Either the pursuer category, which is the one that we keep poking fun at culture for, (laughs) um, where there's this pressure to want to get through conflict when it's starting to, uh, that disconnection is starting to approach and wanting to kind of get there faster and just get it out of the way, knowing that the conflict isn't going to work. So we just want to like hurry up and solve it now. And so they're going to be a little bit more external with their emotions, a little maybe more disorganized they are going to want to come forward and co-regulate in conflict before they self-regulate. And things just, I like to say the pursuer's brain sort of like spaghetti. It's just like everything is happening just like culture described it in that vignette, you know, where it's so fast and so many different things and so many different options. It sometimes can feel really overwhelming to decide what direction to go. On the flip side of that, we then have the withdrawer who is very different. That's more like Katie in the vignette where they are, when they sense the disconnection or a misunderstanding, they want to get away from the conflict because they know conflict doesn't work. It makes us feel more separated. And so they have a bigger tendency to sort of like avoid or withdraw or kind of internally try to figure out what they're feeling or what's going on or if they should communicate something. They're really sensitive to noticing if something is going to work or not with their partner. And so there's a lot more calculation and when they want to talk about things or not. Um, And so we'll often we'll see a more like a pulling away kind of response. But ultimately, this negative cycle is when we're not paying attention to those things and one of us is feeling triggered or both, uh, we start to use those protective moves, those strategies that we've had for a really long time. And those things are interacting to create what we call a negative cycle. Yeah. And I think that in talking about self-regulation and co-regulation, it is really interesting looking at how both of those things play a part within a couple's relationship and in those cycles. When I was hearing you describe like those pursuer moves and pursuer energy, I tend to think of this saying like for pursuers, it's more we need to be okay in order for me to be okay. So that seeking out of co-regulation when there is a sense of a disturbance in the force when there is some tension, there's that immediate urge to like, okay, let's get us okay first. Or even if I need to like blow this up just so that we can then get to resolution so that we're okay. Whereas in contrast, the withdrawer and that more calculated timing tends to come from more of this space of like, I need to be okay in order for us to be okay. 
And so that has been really helpful to me to kind of think of that piece. Like we just sometimes almost unfortunately, like we want the opposite strategy from each other, right? One of us wants to co-regulate first. The other one wants to self-regulate first. Um, And so last podcast episode where we talked about self-regulation, I'm really excited to get a little bit more into like what is co-regulation? How do we balance these two things? It's kind of maddening because the pursuer and the withdrawer almost always find each other. And we want to convince the other person that they shouldn't use the strategies that they have and how much better better it is on our side of things. But geez, it is like, sometimes there's this like idea that it would be so much more perfect if there was just two pursuers and two withdrawers. And (laughs) I don't don't know. That's true. Yeah. You don't think that's true? I don't think that's true. Yeah. I mean, I think I kind of logically know that's not true. Like they don't really work. Mm -hmm. When you pair them together, you mean? Mm-hmm. I I just think like we need complementarity, you know, in our relationships. There's a reason that we attract to something that we don't have as much of within ourselves. It's like our psyche trying to balance a little bit. Uh, maybe if I internally am like really good at attuning to others and prioritizing connection and knowing how to nurture and foster connection, there is going to be maybe a little bit of deficit in my ability to prioritize my own self care and to be selfish in times that it would actually be appropriate to and to sometimes be more independently driven. And so there's going to be something then really attractive about meeting a partner who is not only able to prioritize those things, but then feeling like wanted and desired by someone who prioritizes those things. Um, And then I think when we're healthy in our relationships, like we just bring different strengths based on, you know, the thing we prioritize. It's the old saying, opposites attract. Yeah, true. True. I've always kind of thought, I don't know if this is true or not, but that pursuer-pursuer relationships tend to blow up because you have two people who are like so conflict-facing that it just doesn't work out very well. And then withdraw-withdraw relationships. I don't know if they blow up as much as they just like slowly die over a very long period of time. There's just not as much intimacy and connection because nobody's really coming to the table with the hard things. That is the strength of the pursuer is they're going to initiate the the conversation more often that people don't want to have. And and the withdrawer, like Lauren was saying, is going to pull us out when it gets too hot, right? So there is this complementary benefit to having each side in the relationship. And especially when things are not heated, that's, it's really exciting, right? It's like, oh, this is so nice to have a difference here. And there's a person that's so different than me. But when we're in conflict, it can feel especially scary. Mm -hmm. I think I just want to say too, like for those listening who maybe are hearing this language for the first time, it is more nuanced and complex than trying to just like put ourselves in one of these two boxes. Um, And there's a whole continuum of how we interact as far as whether we're drawing from more pursuer energy or withdrawer energy. And I think when we are really moving towards health and security in our relationships, we'll see both partners use both strategies. So if you're listening to this and you're like, I have no idea which one I fit into, or I think I do all of these things, that's Mm possibly true. And you can come to our membership and take a course on attachment. Yeah, then you'll know. I feel like a lot of people do know what their type is just based on hearing the words. I agree with you. Like it's way more nuanced mm-hmm. and complex, but if you say like pursuer and withdrawer, most couples are pretty easily able to be like, "Oh yeah, like I know which one I am and I know which one he is." 
I wanted for us to jump back to kind of that knowing when we're triggered since we're talking about regulation today. And I'm like, I'm hearing that story and like the thoughts piling on top of each other are, are such an obvious example for me, or I even just feel like really fidgety all of a sudden. Um, just like I like can't sit still almost like I had too much coffee. It's like this really uncomfortable feeling. And I know when that's starting to happen, I'm like, I'm starting to get dysregulated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that that feels similar for me, Coulter. And, and also I am from New York for those of you that don't know. And you only say it on every podcast. Okay. <laughs> Shout out to New York. Um, but I just, I think that for me, what I've, especially in my current relationship with somebody who does not appreciate loud um, voices, I tend to escalate my tone a bit. And even if I'm, I don't think I'm yelling, um, I can sense now through some practice that when my tone starts to escalate, there's probably something going on that I'm not maybe paying as much attention to. Mm-hmm. I actually, I loved about the vignette, like that part where the thoughts were all kind of like overlaying on each other. Cause I think that's something I really identify with when I'm starting to get more escalated is noticing my thoughts go faster and faster, like trying to cycle through what are all of the potential strategies here. I'm trying to like calculate out if I make this move, then what might happen? So that's a cue for me as well when I'm getting triggered. Yeah. I, I get the picture of a uh what's that meme with the woman from Homeland? And it's like, she's like thinking oh. and there's like all like the long divisions <laughs> the math, on yeah, all the Lauren. math. And it's like, <laughs> you use that language a while back, Lauren, of how, how fast are our thoughts moving? Mm-hmm. And that is something that has really resonated with me. Like, are my thoughts going really fast or mm-hmm. we're slower or whatever? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what are they trending towards? Because I know for me, as a pursuer, they're usually trending towards blame, you know? So if I was in that vignette, my thoughts would probably be like, what is she doing? Why isn't she saying anything? And a lot of just focus on what she's doing. Mm -hmm. And that is a good thing to kind of pay attention to is like the lens our thoughts are going through Mm -hmm. on the withdrawer side of things that typically will be a lot more self-directed. So I, I can never, you know, communicate this. He really wants something for me and I don't feel capable of giving that to him. So Mm -hmm. it is a bit different. Um, as far as the lens, but I think it's the speed of the thoughts and then also what filter are they going to, through. I was thinking on the withdrawer side too, like almost more of a defensiveness that can come up even internally, right? Like, why are you interrogating me? Like, wh- the, why does this feel so intrusive or invasive right now? Like, I'm, I just need some time. I'm just tired. Like this kind of pushing away and wanting space. And I think there's like a more pressured feeling to that pushing away and wanting space when we're getting triggered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think what we're saying is we want to pay attention to what our body is doing, what our mind's doing, what actions are coming through or moves is something, you know, kind of the language we use. Those are all good ways to notice when we're feeling triggered. Yeah. So last episode, we talked about, you know, the self-awareness piece that we're kind of revisiting right now and how to then utilize self-regulation when we start to notice that we're feeling triggered. And I just want to preface that all of that still applies when we're talking about co-regulation today. But I just wanted to differentiate a little bit because co-regulation is also an appropriate way that humans experience calming and soothing the nervous system. So I always like to educate people as a social species, we have this attachment system within us where when we have a safe, secure attachment figure, so another person who we know and trust um, and have some sense of safety with, 
when we feel connection between us in that relationship, when we feel seen and understood and like my needs are going to be prioritized and responded to and my feelings are going to be engaged with, there really is something regulating and soothing and calming about that relational experience. And so in relationships, I think sometimes especially for pursuers, we can jump really quickly to like, I just want my partner to co-regulate me. Like that's the thing that's going to make my nervous system feel better. And I also want to hold space in this episode for like when we're both self-regulating, we actually can really optimize this co-regulation concept and support one another in regulating to prevent those cycles from kind of catching fire and escalating further. So co-regulation is going to be more when I notice my partner getting escalated and I feel like, wow, I'm kind of within my threshold of tolerance enough to be able to actually respond in this more like attuned, curious, supportive way and maybe bring some soothing to their system. That's interesting because, you know, I think typically when we think about the word or you've heard the word co-regulation, there's this tendency toward, like you said, Lauren, what are you going to do for me? I'm dysregulated, so I want you to help me. And the way that you are explaining it right now is how am I in a place where I can help them? Mm -hmm. Which is so different than I think the typical way that we look at this. Yeah. And so there. what do we need to know then to decide if we're able to provide that, I'm going to call it service, <laughs> to our <laughs> partner relationship? I just also like the idea of like, what are you going to do to regulate me yeah. right now? <laughs> like, I'm dysregulated. What are you going to do? Like, yeah. wow, how inviting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've not seen that work super often yeah. in relationships. Well, and it, what it actually looks like is you know, if you would just do this, if you, you're never available for me here, or you just need to validate me, which is Dustin's favorite thing I say, right? And that is an example of me wanting him to regulate me in that moment, you know, and, and that is easy to go to, right? Mm -hmm. And very realistic for a lot of us to reach for that. And probably maybe something you should think about the next time you're in conflict. But ultimately, that's not what we're aiming for. I think we can do it before we even get home. That, mm -hmm. you know, if we're talking about that example mm -hmm. of like, com yeah. you know, coming into the house and that's something that when we're doing well, we do that sending a text that's mm -hmm. like, hey, I've had mm -hmm. a hard day and like I might need some space when I get home. And then, yeah. Yeah, and then that. also sometimes your partner is like, I've had a hard day. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and I, I, like, I can't provide that service to you. Yeah. Essentially. Good use of boundaries because that stops us then from going into the cycle. You know, if we're, if we don't explicitly make that known that I don't have the space, even though my partner's requesting that mm -hmm. and we push ourselves, then we're going to be twice as likely then to end up in something, you know, where our partner senses that actually you don't have the space. Like I thought you said you were going to be able to support me here, you know? And, and so I, I like what you just said, Coulter, to make that really explicit if you're in a place where you know that you don't have the space. Yeah, and that's hard work to kind of think ahead of like, all right, in 15 minutes, I'm going to be walking in the door and what am I going to be needing? Mm -hmm. Most people aren't doing that. I think they're just kind of responding in that moment and like right. thinking like they should have known what I needed. And, you know, it's hard to 15 minutes beforehand be like, okay, this is what's going on for me. And this is probably what I am going to need. And I'm going to vocalize that. I think that's hard work. Yeah. I also think that this is reflective of our need for multiple relationships in our life. Like we need to have more than just our one partner or our one best friend or our one person who we go to 
because it's appropriate sometimes that our partner is going to say like, hey, I'm actually maxed out today and I'm not able to meet this need for you. And in those moments, it's it's not to say like, I can't have any co-regulation. I might just need to shift gears and call my friend um, or text a friend or journal until I have my therapy session next week. Like we still need co-regulation from other people outside of our partners too. I really love Esther Perel, who's really prominent as a relationship therapist. She talks all of the time about how in our culture and time today, we really expect so much from our partners. Like we expect them to be our best friend and our confidant and our lover and our mentor and our teacher and our pastor and, you know, our co-parent and all of these things where it's like, that's really too much to put on one person 100% of the time. So we're talking about this need for co-regulation, but I also just want to clarify that's not just something that our romantic partner is responsible for. Yeah, I've noticed that in my relationship that I can sometimes want my wife to exude all of the best qualities of all of my friends. It's like, I want her to have the, you know, the insight on whatever topic on business that I would get from my friend also. And I want her to be able to, to be as funny as whatever friend. And and she's like, she's so many of those things, but she can't be all of those things Mm -hmm. all the time. Yeah. That's a lot of pressure. Yeah. Okay. So we're going kind of back to this idea. It sounds like there's sort of two paths that we're talking through. The, desire for co-regulation from our partner in which we need to self-regulate, have self-awareness to then be able to organize an ask of our partner and be willing to accept a no, if that is the case, and then to kind of pursue options elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And then there was this idea that you had started talking with about, Lauren, where the co-regulation is our ability to hold space for our partner. Mm -hmm. And I think that's also worth us talking through how we know that we have the space to hold on that other end of it. Because I think sometimes, especially as pursuers, um, we maybe think that we have space that we don't have. And yeah, I just kind of think we should maybe talk through how we each know that Mm -hmm. we have the space to give to our partner to co-regulate. Yeah. And I think going back to the conversation about how we track when we're getting triggered, it's so important to be able to check in with ourselves first, always, before we co-regulate or before we ask for co-regulation. Can I check in with myself to know where am I at in my own window of tolerance? Like how much energy do I have to work with? How much patience do I have right now? Again, how fast are my thoughts going? How much tension and volume is in my voice when I'm talking right now? Like, do I notice a lot of blame or criticism or defensiveness coming up in my thoughts? Or do I feel more connected to curiosity and my thoughts are moving at a slower pace? So when we do that check-in with ourself and we find like, I really do have some energy and some patience and some curiosity right now, that's a really beautiful time to be able to maybe recognize our partner using some more disconnecting strategies or some of those kind of protective moves that come up when they're feeling stressed and to just approach that with some curiosity and patience versus going into our own protective moves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think even as you're sharing all of that, I'm thinking about the times that I do that better when I have a mindset of knowing my partner's strategies, knowing his raw spots and kind of like the way that he was programmed and almost being able to expect 
to hear some of the things that when I'm triggered, I want to solve. I want to like take his pain away. But when I'm in a regulated place, when I can kind of expect those things, I feel like I can just respond differently and hold space for it and validate it and empathize with it. And that I think that's the difference for me is almost like, hey, do I know, can I name off right now the moves that I know that he uses, the places that he, I know he usually goes to? It's like a little check-in for myself almost of like, can I do this right now? Because when I'm not able to do those things, it's so much easier for that to swoop in and then a cycle to surprise me. And that's obviously not what we want when we're being in a space to co-regulate. Yeah, and I think it's an intentional choice to co-regulate. Like when we do that check-in, because I've noticed myself in moments where like I can do the check-in and be like, oh, I see that my partner's getting kind of stressed right now or seems kind of frazzled and I'm just busy and I could easily just kind of like let that go and keep moving on with my day or be like, okay, whatever, like he'll come back online in a couple hours um, versus (laughs) as a a pursuer that is so long (laughs) well as a busy pursuer it goes by fast sometimes so I I think the choice to like notice it and be like I could offer something here like I could offer a little bit of connection and a little Mm -hmm. bit of support to just sort of check in and be like hey like I'm open to hearing what's going on with you is there anything you need well I don't know if you caught it, but in the vignette of the overlapping thoughts, which thank you for saying that you appreciate that. That took some incredible sound engineering on my part. It was impressive. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if you heard this thought, but one of the ones that was in there was go give her a hug. You know, that usually helps. Mm -hmm. And she's told me that so many times, like, you know, when I get critical because she gets kind of like more gloomy at times. And if I usually go, give her a hug or something. And you're talking about like that, the something about us being like a social species. And I can recognize that as well, or just of like, you know, getting hard news or something. And someone putting a hand on your shoulder, mm-hmm. it just like immediately changes something yeah. for you. Mm-hmm. I've noticed that even I, I have a little one at home. He's 14 months right now. And, you know, even just when I'm hugging him, like my system feels more soothed and I'm like, he's not like, you know, providing emotional regulation to me. That's not his role, but it is something that's really been interesting to pay attention to just to notice like, wow, even when I'm hugging a small child, I feel more soothed and more safe. Or even like petting an animal Mm -hmm. as well. Yes. Yes. That's such a good example too. Yeah. And it's such a good reminder that it's not always about finding the perfect words for somebody when they're dysregulated or having a hard time. Sometimes that physical touch is enough to Mm -hmm. help, you know, get your point across that you care. Have you ever been crying and one of your animals like came up Mm -hmm. to you to check on you and it does like, it (laughs) it makes you feel so good. You're like, oh, you love me. You're the only one who gets me. (laughs) (laughs) My parrot did that once for me, which I felt like was really impressive because parrots are generally not like cuddly animals, but he was attuned. He knew. Oh, well, I don't think any of us can relate to the bird stories, Lauren. <laughs> I know. I just got some really odd looks. So, okay. Sorry. We can, we can cut like, that. Stop talking about that damn bird. <laughs> yeah. Let's cut the bird part out. <laughs> just kidding. Don't Go cut that out. Go back to dogs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I guess 
you know, I'm thinking about this thing that comes up a lot in my sessions with couples where, uh, or even individuals who are frustrated with their partner and feel like they are so much better at the co-regulation piece than their partner. And almost this like fear that they're never going to get their needs met and, you know, that that they're never going to be able to match my ability to co-regulate and attune. And there's this sort of like hopeless feeling about that. And I wonder if you guys think like, is there a discrepancy commonly in relationships with one partner being better at it? And what are your thoughts about that complaint that often comes across my office door? I have two immediate thoughts. Let me see if I can keep track of both of them. So the first thing that came up goes back to that whole opposites attract and their strengths from both partner. And so I do think it's fair to name that oftentimes one partner might be a little bit more intuitively or naturally strong in offering co-regulation or kind of more like naturally organically knowing how to do that. But the other thing that came up is that when I do hear that from clients or friends, that sentiment that like, I'm really good at this and I just don't get it back. The other theme that often goes hand in hand with that goes back to the idea that like, I'm not setting them up well to give it back, right? A lot of times we're using more indirect strategies where it's like, I'm co-regulating you all the time. I'm offering this to you or I'm doing these things. And so in turn, you should pay it back, right? You should see that I'm doing this and obviously know that that's what I want too. Or, you know, the rules of the game are if you really care about somebody, then you respond XYZ way when you see them upset. Like we're using these kind of indirect methods or we only ask when it's like a crisis level need where it's like, I cannot regulate myself. Anytime that I can, I just do that on my own. But now that it's really hit the top of my window and I can't, I'm expecting it. And how dare you not show up for me in the time that I really need it? Whereas we're not actually giving a lot of like ample opportunity to respond to us when we are able to self-regulate, but it would be really nice to see co-regulation or we're not setting them up well to say like, hey, here's just the vulnerable expression of my feeling and need. We're kind of bringing it as more of like a demand. It's important to remember that, you know, the the ability to co-regulate in a tune comes from the conditioning and modeling of that when we were younger. Mm -hmm. And so there are a lot of us that are not really good at that. I think the most common thing that I see in this attempt to co-regulation or to co-regulate is to, to try to solve or take pain or to find the silver lining. And, you know, those are still attempts with good intention. They just don't always land as good. And so I think just to tie that into what you were saying, Lauren, we need the opportunity to practice if we don't have that muscle to be able to do that in not a place of like extreme crisis, but in a place where it's safe to take a risk to try to use words that are not trying to take your pain and tell you everything is going to be okay and just look at the bright side. We need the safety to practice that. And so it sounds like you're saying maybe sometimes people don't get that opportunity to practice. And so how are they going to get better at it then? Yeah. And it's so hard to practice something when it's so high stakes, Mm -hmm. you know, like it's way easier to practice something that I don't feel really good at when the stakes are low. And if I mess it up or I don't do it in the way that lands well with my partner, that it's not going to blow us up into a huge cycle or ruin their day. 
to be like, oh, I see that my partner is just a little stressed and I'm just going to offer a hug right now. And it's kind of a low stakes moment. Mm -hmm. Are we assuming that the pursuers are the ones that say, I'm good at co-regulating and my partner's not good at it? I don't think we're we're assuming. I think that's <laughs> most commonly exactly what we notice. Uh, and again, the key word there is think, right? Yeah. They think that they are better. Because what I was going to say is... I don't know if either one is necessarily better than the other. Sometimes mm-hmm. a withdrawer just helps co-regulate in a different way. Like, you know, my wife being a withdrawer, she's so much better at just like sitting in something with you and just kind of like feeling it, just, you know, not trying to fix it. Just be like, oh, I hate that. Like, and some of my friends who do that, I really appreciate it. They're not really offering up any words or anything. And I think that's maybe what the pursuer wants. Like they're not co-regulating me with words the way I want to be co-regulated. Well, and I think that that's probably really individualized to each person, right? Like everybody has a narrative in their head of this is what I'm wanting, this is what I'm expecting, which also probably goes back in some ways to what you were saying, Kayla, like what we, you know, experienced as kids, what was modeled to us, what we wished we had experienced that we didn't. And so that's where we set a lot of traps for our partners by being like, you should know that this is the way I want to be co-regulated. Which again brings us back to individuation. I think that is my word of 2023 through doing so many intensives with you, Lauren, is to constantly remember that we are individuals in this relationship. And we can't just assume that what I need is what my partner needs and vice versa. We have to be able to learn and toggle both. Both things are true, right? And shout out to Dr. Becky. And that's the piece that like we're constantly having to practice and learn and have the safety to do that because we have to then program our minds to understand and believe that our partner needs something very different than we do most of the time. Yeah. And that they need us to tell them explicitly what it is that we're needing. Exactly. All right. Can we address what if I'm ready to talk and my partner is not? Yeah, I think that comes back to the self-regulation piece, actually, that if I'm ready to talk and my partner is not, like they're not in their window of tolerance to be able to have some patience or curiosity or organized expression of their needs, then we actually are going to have to self-regulate through the waiting period a little bit. Like we need to give our partner that grace and that time. Um, It doesn't mean it's like a undefined, just avoid this forever amount of time. So listen up withdrawers. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, Kayla and I are frequently telling our withdrawers, like you do need to say how much time you need and like give a, here's where I'm going to check back in with you. Right. But that is a piece that I see being really hard often for pursuers to have to regulate themselves through the waiting of like, I'm ready to connect or I want to soothe my partner or I want them to soothe me. And, you know, we can't control other people. Yeah. I'm thinking of when you're on the phone with someone, both people have to have a good cell phone signal. Mm -hmm. It's like, like I have five bars right now. Mm -hmm. And then the other person's like, I only have one. Like I'm driving through a tunnel. It's like both people have to have a good signal. Right. I love that. And, and you know, that it is really frustrating. If you, in that example, yeah. if I'm trying to tell somebody really something really important and their phone keeps cutting out. Yeah, get to higher know. ground. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is so frustrating, but it's frustrating on both ends because the other person's like, oh shit, I can't hear you. I don't know what this person's trying to say. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. And they're frustrated with themselves, exactly. right? Because their signal's not, oh, my stupid phone. Like exactly. I'm the one that's, I always feel bad. Like if I'm the one that drops the call, 
Yeah, exactly. So it's not to say that this is like, oh, just go regulate in the meantime and like you'll be fine. No, it's extremely frustrated. It's going to probably dysregulate you a bit further. And if you try to push through, guess where we're going? The cycle. I think this is a good time to also address probably the worst advice that everybody gets at their wedding. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm going to say? I think so. Never go to sleep angry. I knew it. literally knew you were going to say that. Yes. Mm -hmm. I think we made that like... 12 days before that happened in our marriage. Yeah. 12 days. Wow. (laughs) Well, and that's, it drives me kind of nuts. I know why that advice is there. It's, I know it's well-intended, but ultimately guess where we get so much regulation most of the time is through sleep. Yeah. You wake up the next day and you're like, I was being silly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It definitely allows our nervous system to kind of expand that window of tolerance on its own to be like, okay, now I have more fuel. I have more energy to work with to be able to like organize and deliver this in a more productive way. Yeah. I mean, sometimes the conflict happens at 10 o'clock at night mm-hmm. and it's, you know, it's almost better to just call like, we're not going to, we're not going to fix it tonight. Like mm-hmm. let's get to it in the morning. Yeah. And I think that, you know, there's some flexibility in how we can do that. Like it's not that we have to go to bed like seething at each other. We can name that, right? hey, we just need to call it. I love you. Let's come back to this tomorrow. And that might be enough to just give like a little bit of soothing to the nervous system um, because I get it for pursuers. Sometimes it feels like impossible to relax and sleep. Um, And so there can be that drive of like, we can't go to bed angry because I can't regulate my system to be able to do that. Yeah. I don't think people realize like how healthy that is to actually be able to do that, to be able to say like, this is not productive. We're not going to get it done tonight. Let's readdress it in the morning. Like that's a really good thing to do. That's not a surrender. That's not like giving up or resignation. That's just acceptance of what's happening right now. And also communicating to your partner, like I'm not in the space to be able to do this. I think that builds a lot of trust with our partner as well. Like if they have the ability to recognize when they're so far out of their window that they're not going to get back in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I liked what you just said. I'm not in the space. That's another thing that Lauren and I lecture on in our workshop is not to say you aren't regulated right now. It's to focus on the fact that I'm not able to continue this conversation. I need a break. I need us to talk about this tomorrow and focusing on the self. How do we do that if we actually are feeling regulated and our partner is legitimately not regulated Mm -hmm. and they're just like coming after us? How do we do it without saying you are not regulated right now? So the thing that's funny to me about that is that if you are regulated and your partner is not and you keep going after it, like you keep trying, eventually you're going to get dysregulated Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because it's not going to be productive. And so you have a goal that's being blocked and that is naturally going to bring up some anger-based feelings. Mm -hmm. And so the need is actually still the same, right? If I see that my partner is kind of offline, they only have one bar that keeps cutting in and out, I need to be able to recognize actually for myself, I'm not going to be able to productively accomplish my goal right now. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I still am the one who needs to take a step back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's kind of, man, the cell phone analogy is just growing legs. Cause I'm thinking like, if you are the one who has good service, you do that with the other person. You say like, Hey, I, like I'm not hearing you well. Let me call you back a little bit later. Exactly. Yep. And you, and the truth is you still do need a break there. And it's not a lie. You know, it's still true because ultimately what you're, you're getting to a point where you're so good at recognizing this, the disconnecting strategy, the cycle that's looming that you are preventing the cycle by asking for a break. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, uh, this leads so perfectly into our listener question, new segment, listener question, that I'm going to jump us into right now. Is that okay? All right, cool. So this says, one of the things I struggle with is how to respond when my partner uses a disconnecting strategy. It makes me want to counterattack. Help. I love the use of the word counterattack because when I'm helping people practice this work of self-regulating before deciding like what's going to be the helpful move here, a lot of times I will tell them, I just want you to plan for there to be a counterattack. Like when you do a new move that's maybe a connecting strategy, when you show up and you're like, I'm going to express something vulnerably instead of using criticism for the first time, and that's maybe going to feel new to somebody, like just expect a counterattack so that you can plan for how you're going to stay regulated through that. So I think kind of in the frame of the question, right, when my partner uses a disconnecting strategy, we notice ourselves wanting to counterattack. And it's the same need to bring this mindful approach of like, notice that you want to, Mm -hmm. and then use that as an opportunity to practice some self-regulation. Yeah. Try not to. Well, and I think that's like my method, my recommendation, I suppose, would be to name it, to name maybe not what you're noticing from your partner. So I'm noticing that you're really critical right now, or I'm noticing that you aren't saying anything, right? But to notice instead what you're feeling, right? So if we bring it back all the way to the vignette, right, to to bring it to you know, if I was you, Coulter, to notice what I was feeling. Hey, I'm feeling a little bit lonely right now. I'm feeling a little bit, you know, like I I don't know if this is a good time for us to talk. I'm I'm focusing on what it's like to be me, what I'm feeling, and then maybe deciding like Lauren's saying, does that mean that I need to then go take a break? Do I need to go get regulation elsewhere? But I'm noticing and naming what it's like to be me when I yeah. when that attack is here. I'm feeling the disturbance in the force. Right. And I think the thing that's that's great about that saying or I'm feeling some tension. I'm feeling some disconnection. I'm not saying you're being disconnecting. I'm not saying you're being withdrawn. I'm just saying like, hey, I'm picking up on something that I'm trying to understand here. Yeah. Yeah, So I'm noticing and then I feel curious. Yeah. 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 And if we're still met with a wall there, right, I'm noticing, I feel curious what's going on. And if we continue to be met with a wall, I think being able to take that too as like, okay, their signal is at one bar or their signal is cutting in and out. And so maybe I take a step back and I circle back around in 30 minutes. Exactly. Let's jump to the other side of the fence. Say if somebody's using a disconnecting strategy, like criticism. And so they're coming at their partner, like they're the one instigating it. That's like, you know, you never do enough around the house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think it's the same idea, right? I'm going to check in with myself. What am I noticing that I'm feeling, right? I'm feeling a little bit defensive right now. I'm noticing that I want to, you know, jump back and, and clap back and say something to you. Yeah. And that's the counterattack, mm-hmm. right? The exactly. defensiveness. Yes. And I'm noticing that instead of, behaving that way, right? I'm noticing that this is coming up for me. Hey, I need to take a break for a second. I need to take five or can we try this again, right? Maybe we're giving our partner the opportunity to like, hey, maybe that came out a little harsher than you meant it to be, you know, if I'm in a regulated place, but also ultimately rather, I'm still noticing what it's like to be me and I'm naming that. 
I also think we can, if we're in our window of tolerance enough, we can still be curious there. We can notice the impulse to want to counterattack and kind of snap back and instead be curious of like, why is my partner mm-hmm. seeming so frustrated? They're they're bringing me criticism, so something must be feeling kind of dysregulated or distressing for them. And so even being able to just sort of take a breath and then respond with curiosity of like, hey, what's what is it that's going on right now? What are you feeling? I remember this moment where my partner actually did that for me. We were like leaving the house to go somewhere. I think he was driving and I was like just snapping at everything that he was doing. Like you're pulling out of the driveway too fast or you hit the brakes too quickly. Like we weren't even like off of the street that we live on yet. And I think I had criticized like three things. And he just turned to me really calmly and he was like, are you okay? Like, not in a critical way, like, what's wrong with you? Or, like, are you okay right now? Like, it was truly this curious, like, are you okay? Like, this is kind of unusual for you. And being met with that curiosity really gave me pause to sort of check in and be like, am I okay? Probably not. Like, what is actually going on? You also said something important, which is, I don't know if he said this, but, like, you at least heard this, like, uh, what'd you say? Like, this isn't how you usually are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not as criticizing. Like that is a lot more curious. And it's also kind of like calling out the best in someone like, Hey, this isn't who I know mm-hmm. you to be. Like, I'm just, mm-hmm. you know, so yeah. I'm curious about that. And that helps the other person be more curious because guess what? You probably want to be what he's insinuating you normally are. It's like, Hey, I see you as normally like a common rational person. And you're like, I want to be that. It's like, but that's not really happening right now. So what's going on? Yeah. It was a beautiful move. Yeah. Shout out to Chris Mulcary. (laughs) (laughs) I think the thing that we should all remember is that we should not be striving for perfection in these scenarios. You know, so if our partner does come at us with a disconnecting strategy and then we respond with our own protective strategy, that it's still okay even a minute later to say, ooh, you know what, that didn't come out right and to be able to correct it. And so, you know, we always say progress, not perfection. And so just kind of keeping in mind that just because both of us entered a protective strategy doesn't mean that the whole thing is a wash and that we have to be in this cycle now. We can just even recover within, you know, seconds or a minute after that fact. Yeah, and I think we get so easily focused on wanting our partner to not use a protective strategy that we can forget, like, the most power we have is in interrupting our own protective strategies, and that is a place we can actually break that cycle. So... I noticed the last couple episodes, we've been talking a little bit more about the context of what seems like maybe more long-term, long-standing relationships, whether that's in our friendships or our romantic partners. And we're going to come back around next week to actually talking about boundaries in the context of newer relationships. So whether that's you're in the dating field or um, you're making new friends. So one of my group members at one point had asked what boundaries need to be established early on in a relationship. So when we're getting to know somebody at the beginning of a relationship, what are some of the things that we should be paying attention to, looking for, communicating about what they can expect from us? So we're going to talk next week a little bit more about how to know what's important to identify and express from the get-go of a new relationship. Love that. And 
If you are wanting a little bit more from today's episode and some real time to practice that with your partner, there are two great options that you can explore at Thrive. One is a Hold Me Tight workshop. It's a two-day workshop where you'll have a deep dive into some of the things that we talked about today. And then we also have a workshop called Thriving Couples that we do once a month that's a little bit more playful, but still has some opportunities to really get into some practice for some of these concepts. All right. Well, that is all for us today. Hopefully you were able to gain some good tips on how to self-regulate, how to co-regulate. This can be a really good one to listen to with your partner because a lot of times we'll intake some information and think, oh, I'm going to bring this to the partnership. But our partner hasn't necessarily decided that they also want to implement that. So I always find that it's really helpful to have some of the same language. We said that next week we're going to be chatting about boundaries in a new relationship, but as we chatted a little bit more offline, we thought, you know, it would be a really good idea to go through values, being that we are at the beginning of the year, and we think doing values at the beginning of the year is a really great thing for people to focus on. So join us next week. We'll be talking about values. Until next time.